Welcome, friends, to the Universal Sisterhood Podcast. We're hoping to create a place where women can delve deeper, lift their gaze higher, live freer, laugh louder, smile brighter, and be the authentic woman she was designed to be. Every human heart's been created to be known, loved, and understood. So this is the place where women can share their stories. Welcome to episode 80. In today's episode, you get to hear the most beautiful love story. Earlier this year, I ran a retreat, which the theme was shine. And I wanted to convey to the women that the light shines in the darkness, even though the darkness has not overcome it. And it's that passage from the Bible from John 1.5. And I really wanted to get people that were speaking to really convey different types of messages around this theme. And I prayed long and hard about who I would ask to speak at the retreat, to touch the hearts of the women who were listening. And I I had this long list of women, and one particular woman kept coming back to me. And I realized that the Holy Spirit was really encouraging me to ask this woman to speak. So I did. And I am so grateful that she said yes, because what I thought she was going to talk about she spoke about but it wasn't the 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 essence of her her talk her talk was so much better and broader and more inspirational than I could ever imagine I really really encourage you to set aside all distractions and listen to Joanna talking about the her mum's story a real love story I mean, every mother has a story and every story is worth telling, but some stories, they stay with you for a long time. However, I have a feeling that this particular story just might stay with you for a lifetime. With no further ado, I want you to hear the beautiful love story exquisitely told by my beautiful friend, Joanna. everybody. I'm Jo Tabone. Um, I'm really excited to be here with you today and to tell you um, a story which I think is the most incredible love story. Um, I was recently asked to speak at a retreat that was run by Jess and the topic was light in the darkness, a personal encounter. When Jess asked me to um, give this talk, at first I thought, oh, I'd prefer not to get up and say it in front of a room full of people. But then it became very apparent in the days following that um, the Holy Spirit needs this story to be told because it's such a wonderful example of um, a personal encounter with Christ. And when your world seems dark, that there's the most wonderful light opportunities within it. So my name is Jo Tabone. As I said, I'm a mum to five people, um, ranging from 16 through to almost three. Um, I'm a wife to Jo, my best mate, who recently left his 22-year teaching career to become an organic farmer. I'm a special needs teacher and also a community engagement officer for a school that I work with in the western suburbs of Sydney. It's a very large school. Um, And I'm also a sister to nine totally unique and wonderful people and a sister-in-law to some of their spouses now. Some um, of these I've become very close to. I'm also a friend to some very strong women, many of whom um, are part of Jess's podcast. And we talk, we laugh, we share our stories, we cry. We're we're a bit of a crier kind of group. (laughs) Um, But what I've learned is that each one is placed on this path in life for me to help me in my journey. I'm also a daughter to a very real and earthly father called Jim, very raw, 
Um, and I'm also ultimately the daughter of a heavenly father. And that's why I bring to you this story today. It's this father who I breathe in, who made me just as me, who knows me and desires me. He watches me. He laughs with me. He listens to me and he gives to me every day and he loves me. Now, those of you who know, know me know that I'm a storyteller. I was born to a family with a very strong story gene running deep. Uh, we have a natural inclination to embellish campfire tales, take over dinner party conversations with exaggerated memories. Um, I am such a lover of fantastical bedtime stories. But today, what I'd like to share with you is my most favourite story of all, and it is the most incredible love story. It's the story of my mother, um, Anne-Marie Catherine Twyford, and, and her life, really. Um, her life is closely equated with the love story that is his story, our Father in Heaven's story. Hmm. They're so intricately intertwined. It's the love story that is the cross. Um, and what better way to begin than with the keyword life. So Anne-Marie was born on the 28th of November in 1943. On this same day, the Sydney Morning Herald was, you know, shouting about the Japanese troops advancing in New Guinea and um, a guy by the name of W. Orchard, who was the director of the State Conservatorium of Music, wrote a letter to the Herald voicing his opinion on the horrors of the new song that was going to potentially be the national anthem. Um, uh, Anne-Marie was born to Gwen and John, and as her newborn wail pierced their hearts, they um, were reminded of how long they had been waiting for this child. Gwen was a nurse at Grace Brothers, right in the middle of George Street in the city. She was the nurse at Grace Brothers, and she loved to serve tea in fine Royal Dalton, China, and then lock up her special cabinets should her unruly grandchildren ever dare to come and touch them. And John was a quiet, gentle man. And Anne-Marie, well, she was perfect. She had blue eyes and soft black curls. She had promise, hope, pride, and overwhelming love. They bounced around in that first tender touch of those chubby fingers so full of life that reach for my hand. Mm. And life was given by he who has written each of our names on the palm of his hand. She was the light in the darkness on that stormy night in Sydney all those years ago. And they called her Anne-Marie. The next key word that I wanted to discuss his relationship. She was loved by every single person at school and in the neighbourhood. She had a killer smile and dimples and a heart of kindness. Her dad would watch as she rode her small rowboat out of their front door at Greenwich onto the, her beloved harbour where she knew fishermen by name and she would row under that big bridge that she loved so much spanning the new 10-pound immigrant arrivals to the suburbs where their milk bars and market garden dreams awaited them. At school, a few years later, in Woolwich, the Morris sisters were aiming to live a life where they always walked in God's presence. And my mother would later write about how the life of the Divine Mother was none other than the life of Christ to which the Mara sisters were called. And right there, under their guidance, she was drawn right into the heart of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, a model for how she was to love God, the pure, sinless, and fully human mother in heaven. 
um, someone she would aspire to be like her whole life long. Anne wrote love letters, committing her heart and every sinew to thy will be done. She attended a Steadfords. A baby sister came along. A jacaranda tree was planted, backyard chickens, more milk bars in the suburbs, stronger rowing arms and the cool shade of purple flowers above her. At 18, she entered the whitewash walls of the Mara sisters, postulancy. She spoke to the older nuns of her intentions, journaling words such as, John 8, 12, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light which gives life. And at the convent, they loved her. She was joy and laughter, wrote Sister Una. And she sees every person in the room for who they were made to be, wrote Sister Grace. And then the next key word is love. My mum never loved housework. And one summer's afternoon, as she was doing more daydreaming than dusting in the convent, and she looked downstairs of the window, she heard the roar in the car park below of a Harley Davidson motorbike. It was him again. She was amused and intrigued. He was a maths teacher for the school below. And she already knew at this stage that the religious life of a nun was not for her. She had been staying a little longer at the convent, praying for an answer. But this was becoming ridiculous. And yet, our Lord always has the last laugh. The sisters farewelled her, and a few months later, her own sister hosted a party for her. It was a total setup. Mr. Harley Davidson had tracked her down. His brother knew Aunt Marie's sister. She said that she liked his motorbike. And under the glowing light of a full moon, he said he'd never met someone so engaging and perfect. He took a leap, he reached out, and he touched her hand. Mm. She worked as a tour guide for the international guests at the under-construction opera house, where when she left, they wrote tiles, wrote on tiles to her, to our beloved Anne, and we still have those. After closing one night, as she closed up, she packed a picnic box and the two of them had a date um, up on the scaffolding on the top of the highest sail at the Opera House. They took a camera with them. And so we actually have these incredible photos of the two of them having a picnic dinner as the lights of the harbour came on around them, like little fireflies dancing in the darkness. She would wait for him under the jacaranda tree in the Sydney main uni quad till his lunch break. And bells rang out as the nuns lined her exit from the church with tears of joy for their beautiful sister because they already knew of the love that lay ahead for her, the vows of forever, the light of joy, of unity, and of family. Hope. When they became engaged, she actually designed the ring. It had a diamond in the middle and 10 emeralds around the outside. Because I let my darling Jim know this evening as her journal said, that we will be having 10 children, one per emerald. <laughs> and he laughed quite loudly. As each one of the 10 arrived years apart, her heart swelled. She delivered five babies naturally and five by a cesarean. Michael, gentle. Melissa, Kara, Virginia, truth. James, joy. Benjamin, Strength, Joanna, giver, Christopher, peacemaker, Anne-Marie, grace, Daniel, protector, and Matthew, the miracle. But as all love stories go, there also comes suffering. Together they cried for other beautiful babies who were not created for this earth, but instead created perfectly for heaven. They cried for the truths of a marriage that neither had expected. 
and for days when they fought, when he lost his temper or when she wished for an easier life. She was all but disowned from a family who didn't understand their big family choice. And she would catch the Greyhound bus for 12 hours through the night with a baby on her lap to sit at the hospital bed of her beloved younger sister-in-law when the darkness, that is depression, tried to steal hope. But she never once judged me or became impatient. She held my hand and sang me songs with her beautiful voice. They sold houses and they bought others. They took risks and lost again and again. And they arrived in a cream valiant station wagon with seven dog, seven kids and a dog. <laughs> and they pulled their rusty trailer behind them with all of their life in it to a broken hinged gate far along a, a dirt road in Queensland. And he lit a kerosene lantern for her to cook on that first night. And the older children helped put the younger ones to sleep on makeshift beds of blankets and sleeping bags. There was a dirt floor and a big old tractor shed. And she held his hand and they walked outside together. And she said, I'm calling this property Jacaranda. Look up, he said, as they stared at heaven together. Surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. You see, the darkness is not dark to God. The darkness is not the absence of light for God. For us here on earth, we have a hard time seeing in the dark. But God says that the way to find him is sometimes at night when his presence follows us into the darkness. And in this very presence, we see his goodness for he is so, so good to me. Joy. She always endeavoured to be our Lord's presence to others, hosting morning tea days in the same royal china as she had in her childhood. And now it lived in the old suitcase wrapped in newspaper under her bed. The local ladies knew to bring their own morning tea, <laughs> that when they got there, they'd likely have to boil the kettle, most probably put on a load of washing and most definitely hold a small child. But come they did, loads of them, for each one of them saw her as their best friend. She stopped all else and gave them her time, listening, writing on their behalf, crying with them, praying for them, and they loved her. And gradually they grew to love her faith and God as well. She chaired the Right to Life group. She prayed the rosary with gentle grace outside abortion clinics with a thermos of hot tea to share with anyone who might need it and a baby sleeping in the pram beside her just to make eye contact with those who needed it the most. And she took the 10 of us to cool, ancient, dark brown rivers that ran deep with all the local country secrets. And she offered us water of refreshment, screams of laughter and splashing limbs, air mattresses and time spent together that drained away the long hot days and soothed blisters that were caused by the barrows of heaviness that is farm life. And she reminded us to love the farmer and to forgive and to be grateful. My mum always chose joy. Example. On the established side of town, there was beautiful lush cottage gardens. And this became her escape from the dry dirt out on the farm. And she would drive the long drive with the windows open and us children delighted and screaming out the windows with the promise of a 20 cent ice cream cone and stop on the lovely leafy side of town. And we'd all clamber out and she would walk with us through the wide leafy avenues. 
chatting to every single person that crossed her path. Over the fences and barking dogs, she'd compliment someone on their hedge and half an hour later, we'd be leaving with arms full of geranium cuttings. Or she'd laugh at their prized hound and within five minutes, she'd be thanking that elderly couple for the use of their garden hose to change her baby's nappy under. And they loved her. There was the vet and his wife, the doctor's wife, the estate agent and his daughter. Every single one of them felt seen by her. And with this authentic relationship came her gateway to speak to them about truth Mm. and the light of the world. Mum would offer to pray for them when marriages were failing. She would remind them that our Lord never fails. She would gift them with these beautiful little prayer cards inside handwritten letters, reminding them that they were loved, written with her afternoon daily cup of Earl Grey tea. There were no demands or check-in letters, just sent with the seal of the Holy Spirit. The example of living faith and it is a wonderful example for all of us. For you see, through our own vocations, we are called into communion with one another to fortify ourselves and more importantly, to fortify each other. Mm. When I was speaking at the retreat, I asked each person, why did you come here today? And I'd pose the same question now. Why are you listening today? For just as this is a love story that I'm telling each of you, you each have your own. Our lady walks arm in arm with each one of us. She laughs whenever we're too over it to organise dinner and we feed our children two-minute noodles. She holds us with such strength and soul intimacy when we mourn for those that we have lost. And she knows the raw ache of a broken heart and she whispers to us, I am here, I am here, as we lie awake at night, questioning and repeating our prayer. You see, at times we can sometimes shy away from the world around us. Sometimes we're embarrassed by our circumstances. It might be the size of our family as we walk through town or our lack of current affair knowledge at a dinner party because we've been so heavily buried in nappy changes for too many years. Or maybe we're not the people person that my mother was and we're more comfortable with what's familiar, you know, our our walk through the suburb to our needlework group or a drive alone to the south coast. And yet our Lord and Saviour has never asked us to retreat or shy away from this perfect moment now that he created each and every one of us precisely for And so, my friends, let us try to be authentic, to be open-hearted examples of his love. At other times, we can flaunt our own darkness and weakness, and I am certainly um, guilty of this, a misrepresentation that we are capably confident or that we are right, we march our families into church on Sunday, even though we've made judgments about others who do not, or we hold our beads of grace in one hand, Mm -hmm. but we close our heart and our hand from reaching out to the local people that we know. Mm. You see, Jesus is the light of the world, and he called his disciples to be the light of the world as well. And just as a small lamp can give light to the largest of rooms, each of us individually can be that beacon of light in our home, in our workplace and in our communities. And that brings me to my next keyword, teaching. Mum and Dad used to speak in muffled whispers late into the night. It was long after Faulty Towers was over And they would talk about how to navigate the shortcomings of the human frailties in the church. What what schools could they send their children to that offered truth? Which confessional would offer any substance? Which mass aligned with the true church? 
And going rogue, they left what was expected. And instead, they brought the church to its people. We would drive for hours each Sunday morning whilst listening to Macarona Sunday morning. On the return trip only, of course. And they supported good priests. But when the good priests were sent away, they'd book them in from far away to come back and say holy mass under the gum trees. They would draw like-minded others out of their sense of loss and betrayal and teach them to be steadfast in their faith. My mum would make, uh, sorry, would prepare this makeshift altar. It was oh so holy though, and it was graced with one small glass vase that had a chip on it. And it was from her childhood that was long gone now, but it graced that altar under the shade of a huge old gum tree, which gave us reprieve from the scorching summer morning where we were wearing our Sunday best. Actually, it was our only best of borrowed or secondhand clothing. And we knelt proudly in the familiar dirt now. And together we would breathe in the cool of the evening later on while she prayed to our mother in heaven to bless each one of us by name. There was one day when it was cold. I remember we had driven to town for dad's sale. There was a warmth though, because I was lying over the back on a mattress in the back of the valley and with my siblings. And we use our fingers to draw on the wet, foggy glass. It was noughts and crosses or our coolest signatures. And then I heard her say, pull over. He's still there. She had noticed his sign asking for help earlier that day outside Kmart. But then she didn't have a single coin to give him. Now, four hours later, Dad had made a sale at the stockyards. And she knew that Dad had put aside some money very carefully and deliberately to give her a long-awaited night out. It had been years. They were going to go to Chinese the following week and stay the night at the lodge. I remember her getting back in the car sometime later and then asking my dad to drive to the Chinese restaurant. And half an hour later, more waiting, into the car she came with the smell of sweet and sour pork and prawn chips that made us deliriously giddy. But we would never have dared to ask if it was for us. Another stop. And as we wiped the now Chinese steamed windows with our hands, I could see her kneeling beside him, opening her offering of dinner. She served him sweet and sour pork with plastic cutlery and thin serviettes with all the grace and etiquette of a Buckingham banquet. A smile, an open soda can, the tenderest of touch, pushing and poking we were over the back. And then finally dad told us to quieten down and more time passed. And then the door of the Valiant opened and the older kids in the middle were told to move over for a seat for one more was needed that night. And the Valiant became an Uber to the lodge. <laughs> and that's where he spent the next two days, warm, safe and dignified. Mum and Dad never had that night away, but instead she gifted us for an entire lifetime. Mm -hmm. It was a lesson to never pass by, that each one of them is Jesus in disguise. And may we never miss those opportunities around us to see Jesus, because we know when we read, for I was hungry and he gave me something to eat, and I was thirsty and he gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. 
And since the night of the homeless man when the Valiant smelt delightfully of Chinese prawn crackers, I've also learned that every single person on our path in life is there at that very moment on purpose. They're beside us in the supermarket. They're behind us in the cafe or, or in the car beside us at the traffic lights. And often they are in the darkness and the tiniest of lights can lead them home. Next key word is sacrifice. I wonder sometimes and say in conversation with others, what have you sacrificed? Have you walked away from all that you know, your family, your home, all for love? Have you labored a baby for hours, hurting and crying out for love? Have you remained in a marriage where human love is wanting instead for the covenant of love? Mum and Dad made many, many sacrifices. Dad would collect old pastries and bread from the bakeries to feed to his livestock during the drought when they didn't have a dollar to their name. And that amazing German baker, Mr. Koitman, would pack five of today's fresh cream buns in white paper bags for the trip home. But Dad would always go without, insisting that cream wasn't good for his ever tighter belt line and instead that they should split the final one between them, his helpers, for the trip. And Mum, well, she was the woman of the home. The home, it was a corrugated iron truck shed, eventually with a combustion fire, an old table as a kitchen, a 44-gallon drum bath, cupboard partition walls. The couch was from the Salvation Army, and her linen cupboard, well, that was a collection of faded and worn towels and an old tablecloth. She had sacrificed all the things that we often feel deserving of, our own home, a nice kitchen, heating, matching furniture, parent privacy, soft linen. Instead, a nice kitchen, heating, matching furniture, parent privacy, soft linen, instead choosing life and light. Mm. And she would write about how they didn't have much, but she had everything. Then her home was for Christ alone and her family was blessed. And if you've had a major operation of any kind, then you would know some of the pain that is felt post-operatively from a cesarean. And every time she birthed another child at the local hospital, they'd explain to her that she should not have any more children, that she needed to protect her body. But sacrifice came. Baby number eight was welcomed fully and unreservedly. And if you've ever struggled to find the coins in your purse that would feed your family that night, and instead you had the humility to ask a friend for $5 to buy pasta, then you would know her experience. Sacrifice. As Catholics, we can't speak of sacrifice without it becoming one with the Eucharist. The Lamb of God who laid down his life for our sins. On Good Friday, Jesus, the innocent and unblemished lamb, was sacrificed. His blood was smeared on the wood of the cross, and his blood is life and salvation for all. He is love. The love of Jesus begs a sacrifice, sorry, a response from us. Love in response to love, and sacrifice in response to sacrifice. When I was little, mum would teach me how to say the morning offering. Oh, Lord, I offer you all my works, prayers, joys and sufferings. And now I say a similar prayer with my own children, but add in, may all of my thoughts, my words and deeds be pleasing to you. Mum showed the ten of us how to sacrifice our lives to God. Sacrifices offered to us 
in our Catholic faith in so many different ways, the sacrifice of the Mass in the Eucharist, the sacrifice of our Holy Mother losing her only son, the sacrifice of the martyrs and ultimately the total and complete sacrifice of Jesus on the cross for us. Sacrifice, surrender, service. Let us set aside the fashions of the moment, the plans and advantages, and instead look constantly to the Lord's cross. My next key word is trust. There was a little pressed flower stilled in time from the moment that it had been picked on a small wooden frame at her bedside table. She'd also always have a tissue box, a half-drunk glass of water, shopping dockets from Clifford Gardens Kmart, rosary beads, and usually a toy matchbox car. He bought her a new house. He was a Queenslander from the heritage side of town. He had it cut in half and put on the back of semi-trailers and driven up a steep, rocky dirt drive. They almost lost it three times up that hill the cavalry of their own lives. Three times the men from the neighbouring farms heaved and hoed and held it. And she laughed and gave them water from the tank and said everything would be all right because she had splashed the whole affair in holy water from Lewis. <laughs> Trust. And he, my father, glued that house back together, labouring from dawn till dusk for her to prepare a place that he could finally afford, and she sang as she painted those wide, ornate hallways and fireplace frames. Us kids moved from the smaller tin shed that had two sets of triple canvas bunks in it into real rooms, and this time we just shared with one other. We would leave the wide windows open all night long in the heat of the summer, and we'd play hide-and-seek in the visitor's formal lounge room because, well, none of us quite understood what it was for. The cups of tea. <laughs> <laughs> and mum had more tea parties and the women, they would come from all over the place just as they always had. But despite the change in circumstances, the theme was always the same, simplicity. She would put a worn but clean tablecloth out. There would be a slice and the teacups that were now more stained. But most importantly, she gave them time. She spent time listening and wholly embracing those who came to her. And for us, she would allow us to stay at home from school and be her helpers. Because sometimes life is just too short not to be needed for such an important role mm. by your mum. And she trusted that all would be well, that the women who came would find the kettle or bring the food. And my friends, how often we cripple ourselves with preparations to put on the perfect event. We clean our houses, we organise all these ornate settings or flavoursome feasts. And then the event wraps up and we realise that we were so mad on trying to micromanage and control everything that we failed on quality time with others. Mm. And that's why we have to say little prayers in our day. Lord, help me to trust you. Help me to know what is best for me. What do you want? And probably the answer is less of me, less of me and more souls for you. My mum had two more babies and the last, Maddie, was in a humidity crib for four months. He hung on to life by the smallest of breaths, trust. Jesus had gifted her with ten beautiful children and she said to the nurses in the hospital, if he chose for this little one to return to heaven, then he would trust, sorry, she would trust that he knew something greater than she did of her own heart. There were times of great sorrow as well. My mum would sit over on the rough mound of rock and dirt to the side of our new home, where pumpkins were the only vegetable that grew voraciously, and she would cry. 
because sometimes no matter how much you're gifted with a fine home and everything is glued together for you, there are still so many sorrows and the heart can be heavy with the sadness for another's brokenness. Mm -hmm. And just as those women of Jerusalem knelt at the foot of the cross in a harrowed sadness for the soldier who speared him, for the onlooker who jeered at him, or for the thief who failed him, may we never ever take our eyes off the splintered and ancient wood of the cross because it is that that binds us to hope. And when we're hurting for those who love, who we love, but spear us or who jeer at us or who fail us, then, my friends, we are never closer to our Lord than in these moments. My mum always had a tissue stuffed up her sleeve or down her front and she would get up from that pumpkin patch and she would wipe away her tears and she would return to all the mess because our Lord had taught her for so long to trust in him and he would lead her home. Death. The spirit of the age says that the light shines on those skipping about in the noonday light, happy and satisfied and self-sufficient. The spirit of truth reminds me that the light shines in the darkness. Mm. Darkness is where Christ's loving presence and warm glow is most at home. And if you want to encounter, if you want an encounter with the lantern of life, then don't go and watch the sunrise descend into the depths of the earth with a pickaxe and a desperate soul and start mining for God. The light shines in the darkness. We celebrated mum's birthday in late November and we sang the birthday song so loudly and out of unison. We gave her a homemade cake and potted up cuttings from a neighbour's garden as her gifts. And as always, the queen of the Kmart Kodak counter insisted on a photo, but particularly more so on that particular day. And then she announced the most exciting news that we had ever heard. There would be no school for the final weeks of the year. Instead, we were to pack some togs and a teddy and a change of clothes into a plastic bag. Mum had booked us a holiday by the beach where she had spent her childhood summers and it was all the way back towards Sydney. We squealed with delight when we saw the expanse of the ocean, especially those who were seeing it for the very first time. And we set up a very humble camp with a canvas tent and a striped awning. We had a few air mattresses that we would share on different nights and sleeping bags on the ground. And mum carried her green purse with her and made copious amounts of phone calls from the public telephone booth in the middle of the campground. She called everyone she knew and chatted for hours and hours. She was so happy and alive. Her children, us, lay in the warm sunshine. We adventured over rock pools. We befriended the local fishermen who took us way out past the breakwaters. Mum was quite oblivious. She was on the phone. Yeah. <laughs> and she then in the evening would show us how to rinse and cook pippies and row in tinnies whilst navigating rips just like she had on her childhood harbour. She introduced us to white bread, hot chip sandwiches. And then she drove us to the big smoke. Sydney and we visited the powerhouse museum and her beloved bridge and opera house and then most importantly she took us to the, those nuns that she trusted so well and we gathered an enormous amount of miraculous medals catechisms prayer cards and hundreds of crucifixes that were inscripted with in case of an accident call a priest I am a Catholic and that night at 11.57pm on the 11th of December, mum died in a car accident. Nine of us were in the car with her, but her eldest and her dearest were back at the farm preparing to join us before Christmas. 
My mum breathed her last breath on a remote bushland road between her beloved ocean childhood home and the highway that led back to her earthly castle, Jacaranda, under the most illuminating light of a crystal clear full moon. The light shines in the darkness. And you see, even when our whole world appears to descend into a darkness so deep that we cannot breathe, that we question, that we disbelieve, well, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life, and whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. He that is light died, just as she did, on a rocky hill, violently and blood-soaked, surrounded by those she loved the most here on earth. He died so that she might live and die in him, so that mum will live forever. The death and resurrection of our Lord is the only anchor that gave me understanding to the world of sorrow that engulfed us. After hospital, Greyhound buses ferried us back home to Queensland and local women who meant so well came and cleaned until our kitchen benches sparkled. And it was all so unfamiliar and raw. Her ever-presence, larger than life, heart and soul, had stopped and left a void where we gave up trying to fill with words. 836 cards of sympathy arrived from all over the world, from childhood friends, the owner of the lodge recalling a rainy night where a homeless man was brought in from the cold, and the newspapers heralded the loss of a local saint. And my dad, he stoically held small hands as her coffin left the cathedral, where there was standing room only for as far as the eye could see. And that day, each one of the people in the church and further afield who knew my mum carried their own personal heartache. Her tea party army each held an Earl Grey tea bag tied in their grip, refusing to let it go, for she had been the light they had when they had no one else to turn to. And the mother's prayer group knelt in fervent strength with their rosaries as weapons against hopelessness for hours after everybody else left the church. And the priest who said her final mass mourned as he recalled a postulant who ensured him that our Lord had great plans for her life. And again there he was, the shepherd of a flock that had gathered for her. Her extended family were faced with the need for acceptance of God's will, but they could no longer argue this point with her. And her ten, well, we just desperately wanted her. Her smell, her voice, her touch. But the journey of the beauty in death and suffering was only just beginning. And my dad, well, he stood very still and silent empty but with no choice to carry on and what a gift we were all given darkness years later my dad would say to me lovey you are never closer to our lord than when you are at the foot of the cross and i knew he had first-hand experience in this and this is where we found ourselves surviving without her just as the disciples found themselves when Jesus died. No peaceful breaths or consolation of words or prayers that seemed lost and time felt empty. And yet the job was already done. Mum had not left us with despair. Instead, her entire life had been spent sewing many shining lights of hope into our own tapestry. She had loved the giver of light her whole entire life. Mum never shied away from letting it flood her soul. And once we let his light flood into our souls, we ourselves would turn 
and become reflectors and radiators of that same light. You see, we become any light shining for all of mankind. And this is what my mum had done. The friendships that she had maintained for years with those in the know in the Catholic Archdiocese of Sydney led to recommendations for a move to attend schools in Sydney that upheld her beloved faith, a mini light. The example of humility and trust that she had given dad since the day they first met allowed him to walk away from everything he had ever worked for, packing our belongings once more into the A Valiant and with a trailer. And this time we had two freezers full of pork that we would live off for the first year in Sydney. We had to stop at service stations the whole way down the highway to plug it in every few hours. And yet another mini light. And the bits of each of her that she raised in each of us, the gardener, the dreamer, the singer, the friend, the beach lover, the adventurer, that would guide each of us when darkness threatened or when we tell her love stories to our own, all mini lights. Prayer. As Christians, we must guard against things that will disconnect us from God, our power source, who is our source of light. And sin most certainly attempts to disconnect us, and so does weariness. We can't remain connected to God if we are weighed down by other distractions. And I am guilty of this as well, busyness, materialism, or even loss. Often we can spend so much time doing things for God in our vocation, preparing dinner, daily mass, childbearing, folding, washing, reading books, caring for others, that we can at times neglect our relationship with him. And one of my favourite psalms, Psalm 139, a song of King David, in this we read how God has known us and seen us and directed our paths from the time that we lived in our mother's womb. And in verses 11 and 12, he writes, when you speak to him in prayer, you separate yourself, even for a short time, from all the struggles that you face. You are wholly focused on giving him the open heart and arms that he asks. And in doing this, we're free to extend our hands to him and he will take it. He will lead you up any mountain that you face and he will still be holding it tightly as he leads you back to a place of peace. You see, prayer has great power over darkness. And so I encourage us to be prayer warriors. The rosary is where Our Lady awaits our desires to be with her son. There's written prayers that we all know so well, how grateful we are for these. And then there's personalised prayer. Write them. Write them down, your own love words to him. After mum died, we found in her um, book on her bedside table, marked with a little jacaranda flower, a prayer that she had written just before we left for that holiday. And it was titled, To Those That Are Left Behind. You see, my mum used her final light as a mother and a friend and a neighbour and a wife to remind us all where our future lay. And that leads me to my next key word, which is light. Light, when it is acknowledged and seen and known in the very midst of suffering, when darkness shows us its true beauty and potential, it brings us peace and joy. And he who waits for us with an eternity of love has gifted each one of us with this joy. It can be found in our loneliness, in our darkness, because he knows us better than we do. And the crown of thorns, that was an integral part 
of the most beautiful love story of all. And so I guess my final thing as part of this telling of a love story is that I hope for each of us that the glory of God reflects in our hearts for others. In the words that we choose, in the memories of the little hands that we hold, in the eyes that we meet, and in the love that we give to others. Because in all of this light, one day this will be called our story. And each of us has the most incredible love story, which is all for the glory of God. Thank you. Thank you, Joe. Thank you so much for painting your mother so beautifully mm. because um, we would never know such a beautiful light. And, and not only did, was her light for her family, for her children, but for each and every one of us who hear her story. Yeah. So thank you for sharing that. Thanks being... for giving me the opportunity. Mm. Yeah. it's a, You know, it's interesting because this is a story that's, um, I think, not told very often at all mm -hmm. and part of the trauma and experience in loss is um that until I wrote this down what a month or so ago mm -hmm. I had never actually articulated it I told a couple of people mm -hmm. um that my mum used to like to do this or that she had passed away but um yeah it was the Holy Spirit very much so but even God is so gentle with us and so kind, even in a circumstance like this, you see his hand mm. in all of it, even to the fact the the grave of last year when Yeah, yeah, Jack that's an incredible story. Jacaranda. Yeah. So but Jess, your house is called Jacaranda. For the listeners <laughs> out there, Jess was contacted by one of the people that she's involved with who said, um, on or Solstay, yeah. do you know anyone whose grave needs me to pray at it? And Jess kindly said, oh, no, you're in Queensland. Oh, I have these friends um, and their mother passed away there. No, she didn't even, she knew nothing. Oh, she knew nothing. I just said, I've got one friend whose mother is buried in Queensland. Mm. And and I said, but you, I, I didn't know where this woman was from. <laughs> Queensland's a big yeah, place. It's, it's big. It's a big state. I said, she's in Queensland, but you probably wouldn't be anywhere near Toowoomba. Mm. And she said, I am. Mm. And I said, well, I have no idea what what oh. graveyard she's in, wow. but she's in Toowoomba and this is her name. Wow. Mm. And then I got a photo come through on my phone um, the next day. Yeah, well, it was that night, but I felt that bad because I hadn't asked your permission. Oh. So I actually felt... I thought when she said, oh, that's fine, I'll find I thought, <gasps> no, oh my no. Goodness, this might be a really bad move. Well, my phone went ping and a photo came up of my mum's gravesite, which, you know, dad didn't have a dollar to his name at the time. So it's a very simple headstone that just says her name. And that's it. There was, that, no, that's there was it. no indication of. Yeah her story no whatsoever and there in the background of this photo was the most incredible blossoming purple jacaranda tree that has grown over that spot yeah oh, god is so, good. is so good and when I saw it I actually I opened that up and I remember sitting on the steps and just sobbing because I thought oh my goodness someone has physically gone there yeah. and we you know hadn't been there for years and cares enough about that beautiful story. Yeah. But she but didn't, she even, didn't know even know it. Hopefully you're listening. It's exactly right. <laughs> this woman had no, and that grave gave no indication of what, no. what a beautiful example. But you know what? She would have loved that yeah. because she was It was just so humility. insignificant. <laughs> yeah. The grave was so insignificant but so powerful yeah. because, and now that, I only heard this story fully myself a month ago and I was sitting there and then when you were saying about she puts jacaranda leaves, I'm thinking, mm. the grave. Yeah. The grave yeah. has the most amazing jacaranda tree hanging yeah. over it. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. God is so good. So is. thank you so much for your story. Um, I see a lot of your mother in you and mm. I'm so grateful. Mm. Thanks.
podcast. We probably won't do what brought us joy this week. Well, I suppose we should. <laughs> Let's just do it. What brought you joy this week? It's um, been a big week. You know what? Actually, it ties right in with this. I took my senior class at school who I'm going to be in charge with on an excursion to Luna Park hmm. yesterday. Under the and, bridge. And we went under the bridge oh. on a ferry and the sun was sparkling and we are at Milson's Point and one of the girls who I look after, who has quite a few needs. I was just sitting with her and we were dangling our legs over kind of the jetty area there at the water. And she was saying to me, what's that suburb over there? What's that suburb? And where she pointed, I said, that's Greenwich. Hmm. And I said, do you want me to tell you a story about a little girl who used to row her boat out? And as I was telling it, this student was giggling with delight and going, what, that opera house over there? And I said, yeah. And I thought, what a beautiful full circle of yeah. life. Yeah. How it beautiful. Was, it, that brought me a lot of joy. Gorgeous. Well, yeah. I had all my um, ducklings came home this week and we had, because I've got two that live out of home, and everybody was around the dinner table this week mm. and it brought me so much joy. Yeah. You must miss that. I do. It lies before me. Yes, I do. Yeah. But what a joy to have them all there. Yeah. So that brought me joy. All righty. Thank you. If you are really interested in seeing what this amazing woman looks like, go over to the Instagram account and you'll see her photos. <laughs> <laughs> or just listen. <laughs> no, go and have a look. Have a good week. Take care. Bye.